Are we living in the days of deception? Author Jack Hibbs joins Dawn and Steve to unpack this play on words, which I greatly appreciate as an Englishman. Join the conversation anytime. Call or text 800-555-7898. Oh, I don't think we have to look very far to find how many things are on the chopping block when it comes to truth. We have kind of allowed truth to escape us, but we don't realize that often. So we want to look at all of the things that we can learn today and as to whether or not we are living in the days of deception. And Pastor Jack Hibbs is going to help us do that, discern the truth from culture's lies. Pastor Jack, how in the world have we gotten to this place where what is just enough truth to keep us going forward trips us up and we're actually deceived? Mm-hmm. Well, good morning, uh, Don and Steve. I, I I think the answer lies actually if we if we were to take a deep dive into uh, the effect of the Judeo Christian message to uh, to the United States from our founding, uh, from the Pilgrim Fathers to our founding fathers, to the early age of the Church in America. Uh, it's no secret; it's no historical secret that the Church was the epicenter of what went on in our nation's uh, cities. You you look at the history of Philadelphia, for example, or Boston, it is remarkable to see that the highest education uh, that was held by people in those days were actually clergymen, pastors. And yet they, they thundered the truth of God from the colonial pulpits, and it gave birth to a love of freedom. According to Thomas Jefferson, it was Sam Adams who had the great understanding of freedom and liberty that gave birth to this nation's uh, revolutionary period. But then Sam Adams says, no, it was Samuel Davies, the great preacher that affected me so much. My point is this, that at some point in time, you guys, churches departed from being the salt and light that it had traditionally been, and somehow got into some other pursuit. And um, that's I, I think that is the foundation of the days, this fog that has engulfed the church now. I think we have, I hope anyway, we're kind of waking up to, to the fact that we are in a cloud. Uh, I just hope it's not too late. When you describe the church in this days, and I think uh, some of us can kind of define that how we think that ought to be defined or how we see that uh, as you say, okay, church, let's wake up, let's get our head out of the clouds and let's engage again. What are some of the issues, topics, things where you see the church kind of so distracted, has its head in the clouds that we're missing what's truly important? Yeah, great question. I think that while we are in the clouds, we're licking our finger and testing the direction of the breeze and what's trending and what's acceptable. And we I I I really believe that that the fear of man or the fear of culture um has affected the pastor. Now I look, I am a pastor, so I can I can say it this way. I personally believe you guys, that if the pastor uh, would spend more time actually in isolation, I know this sounds almost, uh, you know, Neanderthal-like, but um, 
you look at all the great pastors of yesteryear and some of my great favorites, your great favorites, you think of, you know, Spurgeon or, or J.C. Ryle or uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. These guys knew, they learned, and they disciplined, disciplined themselves to be alone with God. And so when they came out of their their closet, so to speak, of study and prayer, they were on fire, like an Elijah, on fire to deliver God's truth fearlessly. And, and I think that if pastors were to get back to more alone time with God than time in meetings or committees or social media, I, I think what America needs to turn around, if she gets a chance to turn around, I do not believe that it's going to come from any political power or party. I believe if God's going to work in America again, it's going to come from pastors that are that are on fire. I remember... I remember that when George Whitfield was preaching in in England uh, and crowds were gathered by the thousands, and of course he did it here in America, but uh, David Hume, uh, the atheist, the great thinker, but atheist, they, they, said, they noticed him in the crowd and they said, Mr. Hume, what are you doing here listening to this preaching? You don't believe in it. And he said, I do not believe in it, but I came to you because... He believes in it. That's why I've come. And imagine if pastors caught fire again, then congregates would catch fire. And the church would become so holy, beautifully pure, that the world who knows that they're in a daze, they are, they feel it, but they they would have a place to go if the church was that lighthouse, that beacon again. Hmm. It, what a vision to cast and to call the church to and church leadership to. And I'm thinking lay leaders need to catch that as well. And, uh, man, I am so looking forward to the next several minutes with uh, Pastor Jack Hibbs. If you've got a question or comment, feel free to call or text in 800-555-7898 as we continue to talk about living in the days of deception. That's the title of Jack's newest book, How to Discern Truth from Culture's Lies. That conversation continuing on Moody Radio. Well, Jack Hibbs is the senior and founding pastor of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills in Southern California. He is author of Living in the Days of Deception, How to Discern Truth from Culture's Lies. And uh, Don just threw out a word, a couple words a second ago that I think we need to pick up on there. You said something about easy believism, and uh, that might be a phrase that is new to you as you're listening this morning. You're like, what in the world is that, and how might that be messing up church? And so, uh, Pastor Jack, what is easy believism? Yeah, well, first of all, Jesus warns us about what I would call easy believism when you look at the parable of the sower and the seeds. And in one of those descriptions, uh, there are those who receive the word of God with gladness, but because there's no root within them, persecution, hardship, difficulties come. And he says something that's bone chilling. He says, these are they uh, who believe for a while. And thank God I'm indebted to excellent scholars like Erwin Lutzer and others and Dr. John Wolverid, who when they unpacked all of that, uh, their belief never took them to faith. So, for example, I believe in George Washington. I've been to his house, but I don't have faith in him for my, my citizenship. I, I have a U.S. passport, but I believe in him, but I don't lean upon George Washington for my citizenship. So when people talk about, well, I believe in Jesus, 
It really goes to the book of James, where James would be the one who would say to us, well, I mean, you say you believe, but how about this? How about if I... How about if I just plug my ears for about 30 days and I can't hear a word you say, but I'll watch you. I will watch you live your life and then I'll determine if you are actually a believer or not. And that's a that's a frightening thought. And yet it's a holy thought because people should not know that we're Christians by our mouth, uh, but they should first know that we're Christians by what we say. Now, granted, if we if we say that we're a Christian, then now we open up the door for them to judge the fruit of our lives. So when we talk about easy believism, um, bottom line is this, it's the preaching if in teaching, if that's possible, of the Bible without the cross, without repentance, uh, without transformation. In other words, making the gospel an, an add-on, like a module to your life. And uh, easy believism, I think, has plagued the church for, for a good while. It, yeah. it seems to have done that, plagued the church, and yet the remedy would be the pastors going back to preaching about sin? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Um, I got in trouble recently in the U.S. Congress as I prayed there. Um, I, In my prayer, I mentioned, Lord, call our nation uh, to repentance from her national sins. And I got in a lot of, I'm still in a lot of trouble for having said the word sin, you guys. I'm being written up. I got 26 congressmen condemning me for suggesting that our nation is is uh, sinful. <laughs> and right. that's a problem because if you read the scripture, all of us are sinful. And yet you say, what a horrible thing to say. No, 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 wait. The story doesn't end there, thank God. To qualify for salvation and glory and heaven and and forgiveness, you've got to first of all recognize that he's the Savior, which means I need saving. And for me to realize that I'm a sinner is to come to him and receive that forgiveness that he bought for me at the cross. And then when I realize what the Bible has to say is true, oh man, I'm full of joy, I'm, I'm liberated. And I think it's the secret sauce to what Paul the Apostle said in Romans 1, that there's now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, because you're in Christ Jesus. I'm not perfect, but the moment I sin in thought or act, I go straight to him. And he He forgives me and gives me the strength to overcome the sin that so easily besets me. So, man, that's freedom. That's liberty. And so when we don't preach the cross, we're not going to preach sin. And if we don't do that, then the, the the empty tomb and the resurrected Lord, I mean, what's so attractive about that? I mean, you know, what do I need him for? Uh, we need to be desperately aware of how bad we need him. Very, very desperate. You know, I, I feel like we watched the evangelical church kind of rally around this seeker-sensitive movement where we lost the, the powerful truth of the gospel message in that. And as a result, we can get our roots down deep into Scripture. And without roots deep into Scripture, we end up drifting. And uh, mm. we're watching the church drift right along with culture. Uh, if you had a—in the last minute before we have to take our next break, if you had a simple message to the evangelical North American church today— what would your elevator pitch be? I would say this: uh, as a as a sheep, right? We're, we're God's sheep. You got You have to eat. Sheep have to eat. Sheep must have a shepherd. Sheep do not live without human care. Find a church that teaches the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. 
that really believes what the scripture has to say. And and I know this sounds cruel, but I don't mean it to be. If you go and spend 60 minutes at a church service and you're hearing about pastor's opinions and and what what he feels, um, I, I what you need to do is go find a mouthpiece for God. A.W. Tozer said, we don't we don't need parrots in the pulpit. We need prophets in the pulpit. And so I would look for a church on fire, missions-minded, and has a high view of Scripture. It is the way to go in and worship, to be challenged by the Word of God, to be challenged to go and preach the gospel because we are to make disciples. Pastor Jack Hibbs is challenging us with all of these things, living in the days of deception, how to discern truth from culture's lies. And you can imagine there's much more to this conversation. So we will have it in just moments. Don and Steve in the morning, Moody Radio. Oh, with all of the things going on in the church, in the nation, in the world, are we living in the days of deception? D-A-Z-E, how to discern truth from culture's lies. Pastor Jack Hibbs, the author and our guest today. So much that you've covered in this work. And we're thankful that we can at least scratch the surface to let folks know that there's truth and it's found in God's word. And you've talked about pastors needing to be alone with the Lord and then preach the gospel. And so that we understand the power of the cross and forgiveness of sin and and not just an easy believism. What about, though, tolerance? Because this kind of couples with what we're having in our easy believism, we realize, or we're we're being challenged, Pastor Jack, with, if you love so-and-so, you're going to go ahead and say, whatever choice they make, that's for them. And it's building in something that is deceptive to us by having to embrace a tolerant, tolerant society. And yet, and yet Mm -hmm. we want to love and we want to still stay in community with folks and win them to Christ. What's going on here? Yeah, it's my understanding throughout culture, history, and the scripture, and just reality is the fact that if you had to prioritize some of these tremendously beautiful, and I think um, God-sent character qualities, such as love, truth, tolerance, liberty. These things are from God, but you have to put them in order. You really do have to prioritize them. And so how would you do that? Well, the number one thing of all things is Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when truth is at the top of that pinnacle, then everything else falls beneath. So in other words, tolerance is going to be defined by truth. Um, Love is going to be defined by truth. Everything gets defined by truth, and the truth is being God's truth. Having said that, um, we live in a time right now where we have taken, for example, truth, and we've sacrificed it on the altar of unity. Let's just kill truth, because it turns out that truth separates us all. I, you know, I, I believe in this and they believe in that and all the other thing. But then there's this eternal, immutable truth that God has revealed. And well, that gets in the way. So let's put that on the altar. Let's cut it up, get rid of it so we can all be unified. But you know, that's a falsehood because when you unify, what are you unifying on? What If I say, well, let's unify, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And this particular person says, well, we can unify, but I don't believe that. How can you unify? Well, 
you'll never unify, but how do you get along? How do you live in a culture, a, a multifaceted culture like the United States? Well, I would be biblically tolerant of someone else, meaning I respect them because they are created in the image of God, even though they may be a full-blown, highly developed atheist, I love them because they've been created in the image of God. Do I agree with them? No. And that's the beautiful meaning of the word that uh, Daniel Webster wrote about the word tolerance, is to disagree with one another's view with respect. Why? Because we honor one another as those that have been created in the image of God. The bottom line is this. We don't have that in the United States anymore because somebody, if I say something that someone disagrees with and I have a biblical worldview, I can love them. But if they don't have a biblical worldview, they can't handle my my disagreement. I don't, I don't think that you should do this or that or the other thing. I don't think you should cheat on your wife for example. Oh, who are you to judge me? I'm not judging you. The Bible says don't do it because it's not good for you. But if they don't have a biblical biblical worldview on that, they're going to think I'm intolerant. Bottom line is this. I go to my doctor on a regular basis, and I don't want my doctor to be tolerant. I want my doctor to say, Jack, you've been out in the sun too much, and we're going to cut this weird thing off your skin because I don't like the way it looks. He doesn't dance around. He doesn't, I don't want to hurt your feelings. He's not tolerant. He is like a pit bull and he's coming after me. Why? Because he loves me and he wants me to live live longer. And I, I, I would love the world. I don't know if it's possible, but if the world could know us by our love and hear us when we say, listen, Jesus wants you to come to him just like I came to him and he wants to wash away all of your guilt and set you free and give you a brand new life. Don't you want to live a brand new life? You can you can reboot your computer. God gives you the chance to reboot your life. And so, yeah, I think truth is what needs to be at the pinnacle because God placed it at the pinnacle. And he himself said that he is truth. I love that reminder that he is truth and truth is defined by him and by his word. And it's really living in light of that truth and that foundational truth that I think is going to allow us to kind of get our heads out of that days of deception that we've been talking about here with uh, Pastor Jack Hibbs this morning. He's written the book, Living in the Days of Deception, How to Discern Truth from Culture's Lies, and we're connecting you to that through our Facebook page. When you're on Facebook, you're just looking for Don and Steve in the morning, and you're going to find the link right there. Jack, we so appreciate you joining us this morning and hope you have a great time at NRB. Well, you just mentioned a moment ago that we're going to be heading to Alabama next week. And uh, I'm just catching headlines this morning coming out of Alabama, which I think are going to be significant in the world of uh, of life in, and pro-life Ooh. and defending the lives of the unborn. Uh, the Alabama Supreme Court apparently recently had a ruling that said that embryos created in in vitro fertilization, IVF, mm-hmm. are children. And therefore, should legally be protected like any other child. Hey. That, I think, is pretty significant. Yeah. It will be very interesting to see what this does, if anything, on the landscape of the uh, life debate. But the uh, court's ruling repeatedly invoked Christian faith and the Alabama Constitution, which specifically protects unborn children, 
And they typically refer to that as babies developing inside the womb. But they said, well, we think that once that egg has become fertilized, yep. that is a child, yep. a viable life right there. Therefore, we need to protect all those children who are, well, part of the IVF process. Apparently about 2% of uh, kids who are born these days are born through that process there. And if you know anything about that, you know that very often extra you know, eggs are harvested and, and, and impregnated, and, and therefore we have all these frozen embryos out there that Alabama says we're counting them as a person. That's so good because if you think about the whole purpose of IVF, you do know that that is a person. Otherwise, right. you wouldn't go through you the process. Yep. And to recognize that on a court level to protect those kids, knowing that each of us as a human being is created in the image of God and not to lose sight of that truth. We were just talking to Pastor Jack Hibbs about truth and what we've kind of let go, not kind of, what we have let go when it comes to what the Bible says. And going back to that should help us look, because he's the author of life, should help us look truly at what, um, how valuable he deems each and every child. And we all started there. Yeah. <laughs> That's our origin is to be a baby. And then, of course, now as adults. But I wonder if sometimes we just let go of that so that we can do what we think is right or what we think we need to do. And yet testimony after testimony of people who keep their babies will because God just has such a purpose for each of our lives is pretty pretty significant. We want to rejoice in that. I'm so glad the courts are going to look at that. Yeah. And, and I, I thought this was fascinating. They said, uh, in looking at this, uh, because the case came from a case, uh, the case came from a circumstance in which, um, two couples who had babies stored in the liquid nitrogen mm -hmm. for future snowflake implantation, babies? snowflake, snowflake? Uh, sometimes they're called snow, okay. snowflake babies are those who were, uh, em frozen embryos mm -hmm. who were implanted and then brought to life yes. and often referred to snowflake babies. And so these were, you know, babies that potentially were going to become snowflake babies. Right. And the frozen embryos were accidentally destroyed oh, and no. those couples sued and that brought apart. Well, are we suing over, quote-unquote, medical waste? Are we su suing oh, over life? Yeah. Or are we just su suing over some clump of cells or whatever? And so the, the Alabama Supreme Court said, no, we're suing over life. This is a case over life. And they said, as they talked about this, there a couple phrases that were in this decision that I thought were fascinating. Um, they said that, number one, God made every person in his image. Two, each person, therefore, has a value that exceeds the ability of humans to be able to calculate. And three, human life cannot be wrongfully destroyed without incurring the wrath of a holy God who views the destruction of his image as an affront to himself. That language quote, was in the court document? Alabama Chief Justice Tom Parker wrote in the opinion attached to the ruling. Whoa. That's pretty significant, <laughs> I think, right? That's huge. That's bold. Just huge, and bless him for it. I realize standing for truth is not popular in yeah. even our culture here in the United States, and yet with the power of the Holy Spirit and his love, may we make sure that we 
uh, live truth for him. Live yeah. out truth. And it's going to be hard because you do have to die to self in order to do that. Yeah. You have to live that life that he called us to that set apart. It's Don and Steve in the morning.